You know, I actually liked this episode, but it came very close to being one of the higher tier episodes for me. Um, it's not, so it's kind of middling tier. I should add this to the middle tier list. It just occurred to me. I'm just going to add this here. See, the cold open happens. And the cold open's like, oh my god, the crew screwed up. And Archer can't stop moving his eyes while the camera pans over him. And things are super serious because the crew is all screwed up. And therefore, I don't think we're going to survive. Dun, dun, dun. Now, this is just for me, of course. But that kind of ruins the, the episode. There's a value in starting off after things have gone bad. There is, you know. I'm sure you've seen that in plenty of things before. I bet you're wondering how we got here. Rewind, rewind. You know, it's a fairly typical framing device. But imagine if it was just not in the episode at all. Instead, imagine if the episode was a cold open. We found a black hole. Cool. And they get closer and closer. And if you pay attention to the episode, one of the things it does really well, and I'll be pointing out specifics as we go, is it does this really slow escalation. What The fixations that people fixate on are completely reasonable at first. And the way they talk about them is completely reasonable. And then it gets worse, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worse, and then it's like, okay, something's up. The escalation is suitably slow and very well handled, in my opinion. And that's also impressive, because it's harder to do than it sounds. It's easy to say, slowly escalate such and such over the course of an episode, or a game, or a book, or a movie. It is a lot harder to practically implement that than it sounds. What usually happens is, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. Oh my god, everything's screwed because it's hard to show a gradual shift in behavior. So, credit to the episode. It's just, you know, the, the cold open. But I want to mention one other thing here, really quick. You ever see Farscape? Because crackers do not matter. I shouldn't do that. I might actually accidentally stop the recording. <laughs> but I find it interesting that both Farscape and Enterprise decided to do the Something's Wrong with the Crew episode in Season 2. Because, well, that's a good choice. You need to, in order for this type of episode to work at all, and I've said this before, and I'll get to why in just a second, you need to have some kind of investment and understanding of the crew in order to understand that things are messed up and wrong, right? Otherwise, you're just looking at it like, okay, we know it's messed up because they're getting wonky, but that leaves the realm of subtlety, because the only way to know that things are messed up is because they've gone completely bonkers, Right? In Crackers Don't Matter, it was used to kind of showcase one of the issues that they were having at that point with regards to the crew and their interactions with each other. In-universe, I mean, not out-of-universe. By contrast, Star Trek has done this kind of plot a couple times before. In fact, one of them was called Dramatis Personae over in Deep Space Nine, Season 1. Also TNG with Lonely Among Us, Season 1. Or, if you really want to get funny, The Naked Now, which was basically the second episode of TNG. Of the many, many reasons why Naked Now was nonsense, doing a crew is acting unusual plot, the second episode they've had, or third, depending on your release, how you're going through the show, is... Um, <laughs> that's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. It doesn't work on basically any level. 
In fact, it doubly doesn't work because going back, it's just, what the hell were they smoking when they wrote this? And of course, it doesn't help that the episode sucks in general. So, holding off, you know, having the restraint to not do this until season two works. Funnily enough, I was actually trying to think, I don't think Voyager ever did this. Oh, I know you're going to mention the killing game in Workforce, but that is different because they weren't acting differently there. They weren't. That was actually one of the big narrative points of both episodes, is that they were still themselves, just that their memories of who of their position in life had been changed. So Janeway was still Janeway. She was just someone who was looking for a job in a factory area. And, you know, Paris was still Paris. He was just someone in blah, 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 blah. You get the idea. It's actually one of the things I love so much about both of those episodes is it's still the characters in character, just kind of a what-if sort of a thing. But I'm getting off topic. Well, I like Voyager. Despite what the internet has tried to tell me for nine years, I do actually enjoy Voyager. But I'm getting off topic. So first, um, the chair. Yeah, you know, having an uncomfortable chair is actually a really big deal. Now, I'm a little bit biased because I sit for a living. But I'm sure a lot of you could similarly understand that, since I imagine a lot of you also sit for a living. You know, an office job, right? I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of jobs that involve sitting for six, seven hours a day. And, uh, yeah, having a good chair for that is critical. Back when I had the office job before I got this one, you know, back when I was at the cube farm, or rather right adjacent to the cube farm, I had, we had a chair that I actually really liked, and it, it worked really well for me. It was this one specific chair. Then at one point they said, okay, we're replacing these chairs with newer, better chairs. So I, I sat in the newer, better chair, and I just couldn't understand why I was in so much pain. Oh, God, it's weird. Every day I'm just constantly, what is wrong with, oh, it's the chair. It took me several days to figure it out. In my defense, I was working a lot, long hours, you know. So I actually reached out to uh, the manager. I was like, can I save my chair, please? And he, he was actually super helpful, and the woman who was in charge of that was also super helpful. She put a big label on it, say, don't throw out. You know, this is this is Laura's chair. They were awesome. You know, <laughs> as much as I rag on that job, it's more for, like, the last year. That job was pretty awesome for, like, six or seven years there, so. Anyway, so I kept the good chair. So the idea of making the captain's chair comfy makes perfect sense to me. Uh, I say comfy. Comfy is a bit of a... a derogatory term, or not derogatory, uh, excuse me, dismissive. No, that's still wrong. Starts with a D. Um, a I don't know the word. It, 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 it doesn't do it justice. Because what's happening is you need to have a chair that supports you properly, that's not going to give you back pain, or cause you muscle strain, or give you any issues with your spine, but also is still something where you are not distracted while you're sitting on it because you need to be focusing on things other than that, and so forth and so on, right? There's all sort of, there's, there's a whole science that goes into chairs. That's actually one of the reasons I use the type of chairs I do, because I have, I'm really, really picky about them. I actually, this chair I'm sitting in right now is $400, and you might think, Ooh, and I did too. And that's why I did a lot of research for about a year before I finally bought this thing. But it was the right chair, and I have been comfortable in it for, you know, the years since I purchased it. So that was worthwhile. Because you don't skimp on those things, right? And this is why I'm tying this into the episode. You see how reasonable this is. 
because there are certain things you just don't skimp on. Shoes, which you wear all the time. Bed, which is extremely important. Chair, if you sit for a living, right? Toilet paper, very important. Food, you know, necessities. Things that are going to demonstrably increase your overall enjoyment of life, but more to the point, are going to cause long-term uh, debilitations one way or the other if you do not take care of them properly. I know, I know, money isn't always there, and that's one of the reasons why life sucks, but moving on. So, <laughs> then we talk about the preface. Okay, I've got to do a preface for this, this biography of my dad. I don't know what to put in it, and again, fully relatable, right? How do you summarize your father, who is also one of the giants of a particular industry, in like five paragraphs, one page, half of a page? I suppose I could make fun of myself here by pointing out that I don't have a really good talent for summarization, but actually, I can do summarization, it's just really hard, because my brain doesn't work that way. Instead, I, I think, tend to be the opposite. I want to be expounding as possible when it comes to discussion. That's one of the reasons why my role, rule when it comes to these videos is talk until I'm done, because I want to talk about as many things as I can. Which is funny, because the biggest thing I'm accused of by far for years in my videos is that they're too short, and I, there's too many things I don't cover. Look, I'm... I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> so, this then leads to the headache. Again, headache, you know, very reasonable problem to have. I actually suffer from headaches. I have regular headaches that I have a whole host of things I do to try and deal with. And having a headache sucks, but also, more to the point, it could be something more serious, especially on this show. They've encountered plenty of crap that flocks being a little bit cautious is perfectly logical. This then leads to uh, a few other things. We see Hoshi, uh, who's trying to, you know, she wants to make this one specific uh, food. I can't remember what she called it. Please forgive me. It looked delicious, I'm just saying. But we need, to, we need to make that happen. And this then leads to the first actual sign that something's up. Because everything up at this point has been completely reasonable. No issues. But then... To Paul politely asks Tucker to be quiet as he's working on the chair, and Paul doesn't respond, that's important, and just goes back to work. That is, it's almost too much of a jump, if I'm being honest, but it is the first sign, and it's just kind of okay. But the problem is that is Tucker being actively rude to DePaul in a way that I, I would argue he never has been before, except when he was back in Strange New World when he was hopped up on hallucinogens. So this is him being wrong. Also kind of a nice callback there. Then Hoshi kind of starts hovering over the food a bit, like, is it okay? And Reed talks about, oh, it's a bit salty. It tastes fine to me. Ah, it's probably just me then. Again, perfectly reasonable. We also see Tucker's talking about the upgrading the chair, which... Everything he says is perfectly logical. I hate to keep saying this, but my point is, all of this doesn't actually imply anything being wrong. It's that gradual show. I'm, I'm just showing my work on how the episode did the work on making this gradual shift. Because Tucker's just trying to figure this chair out, and he's like, oh, whatever. And they're still willing to talk to each other about their other <clears throat> fixations. That's, that's going to be something that changes later on. But Tucker 
he's talking about, you know, we need to have an interface and maybe we can add like a tactical display to the chair, which, funnily enough, is actually something that future command chairs would have in Star Trek. Go figure. And anybody will tell you that a good interface is invaluable when it comes to anything. Then, Reed is talking about the tactical alert. What do we call it? How do we deal with it? You know, we need one alert system which will, you know, turn on the, the shields, let's call it what they are, and power up the weapons, which, yeah, I actually agree with that completely. Having one button that puts through all of the necessary protocols to get the guns and the shields charged is actually extremely invaluable, as we've seen many, 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 many times on multiple shows. So Tucker's right, Reed's right, and Hoshi just wants everyone to enjoy a nice meal. So far, everything is above board. Side note, I do like the gag, read alert. Ha ha, that got a chuckle out of me. So then, I need more scans. I didn't find anything, which is the problem. Phlox is probably the second person to show some kind of escalation after Tucker being rude. Now we have Phlox getting a little bit too wigged out about what is essentially just a headache. Which then leads us to the, uh, our next really big sign, and things escalate another step, which is Archer, who is just wringing himself into a knots about this thing. Which makes perfect sense. Is then interrupted by him refusing to feed Porthos. I remind you, this is the same man who was more concerned about his dog than his ship and his crew. That's not an insult. That was how it was shown back in the night in sickbay, remember? We had a whole discussion about that. Soon as his dog was okay, he was able to focus on his mission, focus on his crew, and do what he had to do. So his priority was his dog. It was just something that he couldn't get past. No judgment. But that's important because now his dog needs food and he's ignoring his dog in favor of his work. This is, like I said, this is our next real sign that he is out of character, like Tucker being rude earlier was. Now, this would be a better scene if not for the musical cues. Dong, 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 dong. They do this this deep piano piece, which is, it's a nice piece, but it, it felt a little bit like, okay, this is here for the people who aren't using their brains tonight, and they're watching Enterprise, so I can't blame them. But <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a joke, it's a joke. Don't take it that way. But no, like, all joking aside... I rail against this kind of thing because it feels like it's treating the audience like they're dumb. <sighs> However, in the interest of honesty, there is a large swath of audience members, and there's no judgment in my statement of this, who are just, they've just had a long day of work, and they're tired, and they just want to sit down and relax and enjoy an episode of television. They don't want to engage their brain. They don't want to really just conk so... Giving something like this overtly doesn't bother me that much. It's when you do it too much or when you actively just start shoving things into the audience's face that, that really starts to bother. So a bit of a musical cue for the people who haven't figured out that things are wrong. Okay, I, I can swallow that. I wouldn't have done it personally if I was directing the episode, but I'm insane and I don't care about my sales figures. I only care about the work I'm pushing out because, as we mentioned, insane. Actually, crazy, not insane, but let's not get into that. You know, Travis seems relatively unaffected. You notice that? <laughs> now it escalates. Tucker starts getting to being actually irrational. Uh, Reed starts doing the audio alert, which is funny, by the way. He talks about the audio alert thing, and that's a very important thing. 
No, seriously, as someone who studied game design for a long time, having audio cues for something is a huge part of game design. Look at just about any Zelda game, and you'll see some absolutely fantastic audio design, and also some bad audio design. And you're probably thinking, what? What could possibly be bad audio design in a Zelda game? Beat-a-deep. 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 I'm only going to do it the three times. You know what I'm talking about, or if you don't, that's okay. Audio design is important, so coming up with a good red alert, klaxon sound is very important. You'll notice that, just to use probably the most relevant one, in TNG, there's a distinct, not too loud, doesn't keep going forever, unless under certain circumstances. And that's a good way to do that. It's a, it's a quick, immediate, even if you're asleep, you hear the and the distinction of the sound. Not necessarily the loudness of it is what really works for it. So, Reed has a valid point in trying to come up with the perfect alert sound. It's just, his design sucks. Anyways. So this then leads to Hoshi, who is just... Okay, this actually made me legitimately laugh. I'm pretty sure I don't remember these episodes at all at this point. Nothing. Because... I, w I didn't know what was coming, for the most part. I mean, obviously, I read up on the episode before I watch it, so I understand some behind-the-scenes stuff, but I didn't know that what was going to happen was Hoshi is, is fritzing over this, and people are like, we're hungry, and she's like, no, I need to make this recipe just right. It's not working this right. I need some carrots. But wait, Carrots! And <laughs> the way she just explodes at him is hysterical. Then Reed mentions that he's right on several points. No, he is. He talks about security concerns, about ha being armed in certain circumstances, about how they need to have better response times. And Reed is absolutely right about a lot of this, which is funny, because that's been a recurring trend of the whole show so far, is that Reed is right. They should be more military, to put it simply. I'm not saying they should be full-tilt military, because I don't think I can do that either, but they do need to be more military, because well, season three, but also because they have run into plenty of things in the last season and a half of where they needed to be getting going into a combat or a dangerous situation very quickly. In space, three seconds can make all the difference. I know that it doesn't look that way on Star Trek because everything takes long enough for the camera to do a loving panning shot, but really, you know. Anyways, so, this then leads to Archer. He's like, okay. What do you think of this preface? Yeah, it's all right. Okay, well, let me keep going. How much more is there? 19 pages. What? It's actually funny because to that's pretty accurate. People who are new to writing tend to write more than they do less, which is funny because they also don't know how to do pacing. So it's like you see like a, a one, two, three page or paragraph intro, which then immediately jumps into the action, which lasts 10 pages. And it's like, okay, guys. <laughs> Listen, listen. Um, and, again, I did that too. I'm not trying to shame or blast. It's just... <laughs> so, 19 pages. You notice how... And this, I don't think this is on purpose. You notice how everyone's fixations allow them to notice how silly everyone else's fixations are. I say I don't think the episode did this on purpose, because... That's basically real life, isn't it? No, think about it. It's so easy to notice problems in someone else's life, flaws in their mentality or their approach or whatever, because you're an external viewpoint. 
you don't have the baggage or the perspective or the fixation or anything else that they have. And so oftentimes someone will come in and say, well, it's this. This can lead to some problems because sometimes someone will come in and say, oh, why don't you just do this? And you tried that 13 attempts ago. And you're now 13 attempts past that in the troubleshooting cycle, which can be very irritating. But at the same time, you there is a validity to that, and we'll be talking about that in a future episode uh, much later. Anyway, so Red Alert, tactical drill. This then leads to everything going completely bonkers. This is when we have officially escalated into Nana land, because Archer physically attacks both Tucker and Reed, and threatens Reed with shooting him if he hears that alert again. This then leads to the weakest part of the episode. Even with the cold open, I'm willing to completely forgive this, but what brings this down to not being one of my favorites is there's a scene where T'Pol goes to Archer. What? what why, why would you do this? Why would T'Pol decide to go take this issue to Archer, someone who is demonstrably suffering from this? Why would, it, even ignoring the fact that she might not have been personally aware of that, which is, yeah, let's also add to the fact that there is no reasonable reason for her to assume that Archer is not suffering from the same thing that's affecting the rest of the human crew. Is he exempt because he's... See, honestly, this is another one of those, you know, Archer must be right, we must reach out to Archer things, because why else would she do this? There is no logical reason to do this. Then she goes to Phlox. Okay, that is more logical, because Phlox is an alien race just like she is and might not be affected by it. Unfortunately, he is affected by it. But then it kind of stumbles a bit, because she flat out tells him and tries to bother, and it's like, hey, we need to deal with this. And it's not until he physically threatens her that she's like, okay, fine. This then leads to her dragging him into a shower to try and uh, get his mind working and get him distance from the radiation, which, okay, I'm kind of with that. I, I wrote in my notes, why bother? Immediately after I wrote that, she said, because you can really tell I don't remember these episodes at this point, she said, I need the best pilot on the ship in order to d deal with us getting out of this dangerous asteroid area. I'm not even going to go into why asteroid fields shouldn't be this dense. Let's ignore that for a moment. The relevant point is she needs the best pilot. So then I wrote in my notes, she needs the best pilot. That's Travis. This then immediately leads to Archer saying, well, just take Travis. And he, she says, oh, he's sedated. How convenient. I wonder if something could awaken Travis. We certainly seem to see that in the future. So I, I don't actually know. With the medical tech being sufficiently less advanced, maybe she can't resuscitate Travis. Which is a shame, because I would rather at Travis than Archer. I, I know I'm just kind of pushing against the main five mentality at this point, but the reality here is that Archer is brought into this because it's Archer. Because he's the main character, and because he's the one who's going to pilot the ship. And that's the reason. And honestly, that wouldn't bother me as much. See uh, Booby Trap over in TNG, for a good example of the exact same mentality, if not for the fact that I feel it's completely unearned. See, Booby Trap, Season 3 TNG, for a good example of that. Whatever. This then leads to, you know, the, the final thing, which is just, you know, come on, let's go. And they activate the cannons, they shoot their way through the asteroid, they're out. Actually, I like the fact that the tactical alert did actually bring up the cannons, which actually helped them to get out. As I mentioned earlier, several of their ideas were 
logical and sense-making. And this is canon. This is basically the beginning of Red Alert right here. This will actually come up in future Enterprise episodes, ignoring the fact that this obviously establishes a, a standard for future Star Trek episodes. There's also uh, the fact that they all remember what they did and almost did, which has got to be embarrassing. But one thing kind of bothered me in the back of my mind. Phlox is complacent. Tucker does the chair thing. Reed learns that the tactical art was a good idea. Archer is trying to figure out his preface. What happened to Hoshi? Her her plot arc just kind of stopped with the whole cooking thing. You know, there's something about her really wanting to make this perfect dish because it was so relevant to her and it was such a piece of her home and maybe now she feels like she's at home so she wanted to share that feeling or I don't know, anything whatsoever. <sighs> It's almost like Hoshi is just kind of slowly vanishing from the show at this point. But that's total nonsense. Either way, I will see you next week.